I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, Foo followers around the world. Welcome to the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast with your host, Ben Johnson. Before we start, a quick note about the show. The Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast is now in its fifth season. On the show, we talk to people from all over the world about their involvement in martial arts movies, whether they be actors, directors, producers, stunt performers and fight choreographers. We also chat to writers and experts on the genre. We are currently releasing new episodes every two weeks on a Monday. You can follow the show on social media. We are on Twitter at KF Movie Guide. And we are on Facebook and Instagram. The name there is at Kung Fu Movie Guide. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, SoundCloud, and wherever else it is that you get your podcasts. If you are interested in supporting the show, you can now donate via PayPal. All donations are greatly appreciated and will go a long way to helping us to continue to provide content for you guys. Visit KungFuMovieGuide.com for all the social media links, donation options, contact information, and to sign up to our monthly newsletter. You can also read all the latest martial arts movie reviews via our website, Please do send me any questions or feedback you might have regarding the show via the email address hello at kungfumovieguide.com. Okay, thank you so much for checking out this episode of the show. We have an exciting action-packed double bill for you today. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show. Here we go. Well, if you're really so determined to have a fight, then I'll oblige. hello 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 there foo followers everywhere around the world wherever you are wherever you are tuning in listening to this episode of the show thank you so much for checking it out my name is ben johnson i am the host of the kung fu movie guide podcast i do hope that wherever you are in the world you are keeping well and you are staying safe and you are getting by as best as possible despite everything that is going on in the world it's a very challenging time for a lot of us so i do hope you're hanging in there and you are keeping well we have a very exciting double bill for you on today's show it's a stunt special with not one but two great guests Later on today's show, I will throw over to the conversation I had with the martial artist, stunt coordinator, fight choreographer and second unit director, Brett Chan. You will be familiar with Brett's amazing work on television shows like Marco Polo, Iron Fist and Warrior. He is also the stunt coordinator on Snowpiercer, which is available on Netflix now. It's based on director Bong Joon-ho's 2013 film. 
Brett is also the fight choreographer and the stunt coordinator on The CW's reboot of the classic 1970s TV show Kung Fu. Olivia Liang will be taking over from the central role, made famous, of course, by David Carradine back in the original series. And we cannot wait to see what the new version of Kung Fu looks like when that does finally land on the CW network, whenever that might be. (laughs) Everything's all up in the air at the moment, as you can imagine. Warrior, on the other hand, is returning to our screens in October of this year, October 2020. Warrior is, of course, based on the writings of Bruce Lee. It will land on the Cinemax network in the USA in October. The trailer is out there now, and I'll be sure to put a link to that trailer in the description of this episode. I really enjoyed the first season of Warrior when it came out last year, so as you can imagine, this conversation with Brett does contain quite a bit of warrior chat so i do hope you enjoy that that's coming up later in the show before i throw over to brett chan i would like to share with you the conversation i had with jawan dace candice she is a stunt performer who has been working in the business now for nearly two decades and she is also the founder of stunt performers of color or stunt pock if you want to go online the website is stuntpock.com Stumpock is a film and TV website which lists qualified ethnic stunt performers and coordinators across the USA and Canada. Jawan Dace set the website up a few years ago now to help address the need for more diversity within the stunt world. And she has become something of a spokesperson within the industry, calling for changes to be made. If you're inspired at all by this conversation, then I would very much recommend watching the webinars that she has been hosting and adding to her YouTube channel. She's done one on diversity and there's one about being a woman in the stunt world. And her latest one, I think, is about surviving the downtime. I think we could all do with some survival tips with regards to that at the moment. I will be sure to, of course, put links to all of those webinars in the description of this episode. Jawan Dace comes from a wrestling background originally. She moved to Los Angeles in the early 2000s to perform with women of wrestling. She wrestled under the name Doubt A Lot Of Pain, which is awesome. She then made the move into stunts and currently has over 140 credits to her name on IMDb, as well as acting credits in movies and television. She has moved mostly away from fight work and she does a lot of car stunts now, which is something she very much specialises in. And it was great to chat to her about her experiences working in the industry. So I will stop talking now. I will be back before the Brett Chang conversation just to tell you a little bit more about how you can support the great work that is going on at StuntPock. I will also provide the contact information for Jawan Dace. But before that, let's now go over to my conversation, which was recorded over the internet with the great stunt performer Jawan Dace Candice. <laughs> run 
Stunt Park. Could you just explain a little bit about what that is and why you started it as well? It's Stunt Park, Stunt Performers of Color, and it consists of all of the stunt performers from ethnic backgrounds, from Black to mixed race to Asian, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, and all of that above, because a lot of us are mixed on the site. And um, I started it because there, you know, there was a lot of coordinators who would call me, you know, when I was in LA looking for, you know, a black girl who could do this or, you know, Asian girl who could do this because I've been in the industry. It'd be 18 years this year. Yeah. And um, even after moving here to Atlanta, I would still get calls. And so then I would hear things from other ethnicities, you know, black, Asian or whatever, saying they always say they, they can't find Asian this or a black girl could do this or mm. a Hispanic guy could do that. So um, after talk from, you know, the feedback from, you know, hearing all these people and experiencing it myself where they're saying, oh, I can't find this. And I'm like, well, I know such and such. I decided mm. to create, create a resource. And at first it started off as just a database, just listing them and showing their pictures. Then it grew because all of a sudden Canada called and was like, can we be a part of this? Because we have the same reason here where they're saying there's not enough stunt performers of color. So I decided to revamp the website and make it searchable. Um, so that way they could just enter the skill motorcycle female, you know, and all of them yeah. come up from in North America, from, from, you know, uh, from Canada to the United States. And that way they can narrow down from there because it, it, it was a huge discrepancies and talk about the lack of diversity, even on set, even when it comes to, if there's a scene where there's an explosion scene and they needed 20 people, you know, and, and the lack of diversity that came with that, you know, yeah. where, you know, stunt people, performers were needed. So that's how it all got started, you know, yeah. February 2018 at lunch. And it's pretty very popular, has it? Quite yeah, a lot of people signed up, yeah. Yeah, we have about 200 plus stunt performers and that's including the stunt coordinators signed up. And you've sort of become sort of an ambassador is that the right word i guess of I think, I think, you know the so. go-to person yeah yes, the go-to person yeah, yeah. it kind of came as, a, as default you know what i mean i became yeah the default. do you mind that though being that you know what that i person? don't mind because i'm such a passionate and activist person and I, I believe in equality and diversity in itself so yeah i actually don't mind it you know i felt like it, it was my calling and um i took the opportunity and I, um, yeah, I claim to be that person. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the stunt community seems very tight. It seems like people look out for each other. It's very yeah. much, I get the impression, it's quite a close-knit kind of family. Is that, it, is that it fair is. to say? Yeah. Our, our union is the sag after union over here, Screen Actress Guild yeah. after union. And stunt performers only make up less than, I would say, 6% of, that, of the mm. union. So we're a small niche and we all pretty much know each other per se or 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 it's small enough to where it's three degrees of separation. You yeah. would call someone that someone would know someone. So, yeah, we're pretty small, even though we're spread out now, because, you know, as of, uh, you know, probably like eight years eight or to 10 years ago, we started filming, you know, outside of Los Angeles, New York, yeah. you know, New Orleans, Atlanta, Vancouver, you know, even over there in in the UK, we're filming. Yeah. So um, yeah, loads of big movies get loads filmed of over things there. over there. Yeah. yeah. So so we're you know so now that we're filming all over and we don't have to really reside in Los Angeles anymore. <laughs> 
Historically, the stunt community has been predominantly white, predominantly male, predominantly yeah. straight, cisgender. Yeah. Does that sound accurate to you? That's the experience sounds, that you've had when you first very, joined? When I first joined, I could count the number of black women who were doing stunts on one hand, who yeah. were actively working stunt women. And then I would go to sets and it'd be, you know, 20, 30 stunt people. And, you know, I may not see any stunt performance of color driving, you know, especially when Mm -hmm. it came to driving and, and motorcycle stunts, there would be all white men, you know, and then if they had one person of color, it would be a male, you know, and then if they had, you know, to have a woman, it'd be a white woman, you know, but even with women, there's a lack of diversity, you know, yeah. just if there's 20 drivers, there may be one female, you know, out of yeah. 20, you know, so I just feel like in America, we're such a melting pot here that, you know, if you're filming a film in New York, it has to represent New York, you know, now, yeah. if you go to a region, say, for instance, Montana, and it's a small town in Montana, where it's predominantly white and they're shooting a scene that I can see where there's a situation where, okay, this scene should be called for, you know, mostly white people in the scene, which yeah. I can understand. But, it, but I think it's the old mindset and even the younger white people who are coming up in the industry, they're saying the same thing. It's just a change of the mindset, the change of the culture and diversity that, you know, we got to change in, in this culture. But as you say, you started out early 2000s in the stunt world. I mean, that's 20, yeah, yeah. Nearly 20 years ago. Years. Yeah. Over two decades, you must have seen a change. More stunt people of color <sighs> coming into the industry or uh, not I so can, much? I, you know what? I do see a change. There's a lot more stunt performers of color coming in. Yeah. Business. But as far as being hired for, I feel like the only time we work is when we're doubling someone who is of Mm -hmm. color, you know, because there's a lot of roles out there for stunt performers that are ND, which is called nondescript roles, like you're driving the car. Can you explain that a little bit? Because that was a term I wasn't familiar with. So Yeah, yeah. nondescript is called ND. Indie roles are stunt roles where pretty much you play yourself in the in this action scene. If there's yes. an explosion, if we, we're reenacting an explosion of people running out of a burning building, when mm-hmm. you see film and television like that, those are not all background people. The ones that's by the fire and all that are all stunt performers. Those are indie spots. Yeah, indie stunts could be could be anyone couldn't they it could be anyone yeah, yeah it could be that that's and and most of the time they call their friends they call people who they know which are yeah. all pretty much white men unfortunately you know what yeah. i mean so i feel like those are the spots that i feel like that needs the change is the indie spots you know let's get some diversity in there you can see women running out there you can see you know women and people of color running out you know it's got to yeah. be diverse you know like yeah and it's not natural if something was on fire that it'd be all white men it's just not natural in america anymore that that yeah. would happen you know and in cases like that is the onus on the stunt coordinator to make sure that that is an accurate diverse representation or does the buck stop at the the producer level the producers and the upms leave they hire the stunt coordinators that they trust that will get the job done 
Yeah. That's what they do. The producers are so in charge of everything else and not just stunts. They trust that the, this stunt coordinator is going to hire the best person for the job. They're not caring who's overcasting, but it takes because the producers are not there really on the day a lot of the time yeah. and the scenes. But it takes the actors, like what's happening nowadays is that um, um, Anthony Mackie, who, who was Falcon in, in um, the Avenger yeah. movie, yeah. He looked around and was like, where's the diversity? He even looked around. If you Google some articles, he even calls for a change because mm -hmm. you see in the actors and directors are looking around going, wait, this is supposed to be New York. What is going on here? Or this is LA. You know what I mean? It doesn't have a good representation of, you know, stunt performance when it comes to, you know, stunt roles like that. We still having men double do stunts for women and put on a wig. Yeah, this is called uh, wigging. That's another term. This is when men put on wigs. That still goes on, does it? Yes, it still does. It still yeah. does. It doesn't happen around me. I think they, you know, know, I probably call them out. But uh, sometimes when you're doing heavy action scenes, you're not around the actors. They're, they're doing it in second unit, which means all the action takes place on this stage and then the acting goes on on this stage. You get what I mean? Yeah. So, so, yeah. so a lot of times they get away with it because nobody's really around when they're doing it. Do the stunt performers themselves feel empowered enough, though, to actually challenge the stunt coordinator and say, look, this is not on what's going on here. You must hear stories like that. And what happens to the stunt performer if they do call out this? Well, they don't they don't work anymore. Unfortunately, yeah. they get blackballed. They get called out and they tell their friends, don't hire this person because they call me out, you know, things of that nature. It's really sad. Um, but I always tell the person, don't be afraid to do it because those are not the people who you want to work for anyway. Because there are a lot of good coordinators out there too. You know, I yeah. could name... You know, the ones that I prefer, if I could work for them the rest of my life, I would. <laughs> you know, if they had some yeah. more because they're, they're respectable and they know, you know, diversity and, you know, all of this. I mean, we're not trying to take nobody's job. We just want to be, you know, we're, we're not looking for charity. We just want to work also. We want to yeah. place in society and we want to be able to be included. We're looking for inclusion. We're not looking for to take the job. Attack! Black Panther 2018 mm -hmm. that felt like a real turning point in many ways not just in terms of diversity and representation on screen mm -hmm. but I know behind the scenes as well that was seen as quite a yeah you know, I a think big so it step. won so many awards yeah. because they had a lot of diverse people behind the scenes in costumes and hair you know that yeah that that did all of these wonderful things but that was a once in a lifetime, I felt like. You really, know, that was my question. Did you work? You worked on that movie. I worked one day actually because the other thing about that too, I was doubling a girl on there, and even then they wanted darker skinned black people because they felt like, I mean, behind the scenes the producers were still white, you know, mm. so they felt like they wanted what they thought was true African was to get darker skinned black people for these shots, you know. So um, on Black Panther, so even when I doubled the lady, she was darker than me. 
but they had to paint me down a little bit, which is normal with black people. We come in so many different shades. I've been dark and I've been lightened, but they're just, the actors are just happy to have a black person double M. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> so they're just like, oh, well, she's black. So this is amazing. Yeah. You can put yeah. on a couple of coats, you know, but a lot of them were like, well, we want it is no darker, you know, people where they're all working here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and I was the perfect size and height for the girl. So, so yeah, I mean, it has some wonderful things that happened. And I think that for the most part, everything was wonderful about it uh, for that particular movie. You know, mm-hmm. if we could, you know, but it shouldn't have to take an all black movie for black people to work. In my opinion, yeah. you touched on this term painting down just then. Um, yeah. I watched one of your webinars and I was shocked that this is still um, yeah, happening. Yeah, in that webinar. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So could you just explain what painting down refers to and that, the, okay. that this is actually something that is still going on? And you probably heard of it because you watched, it was from Angelica Washington. That's and right. And it happened to her on a show yeah. in yeah, 2017. Yeah. She's currently starring in Stargirl, and she had two black stunt doubles that she they found on Stunt Pop for, for her for that. And I think that's what made her speak up because she's like, they're here. I had two wonderful ones on Stargirl. You yeah. know, so um, painting down is when they just basically, and at that time they told her, and this is in 2017, it's not like in, 1991 yeah. they told her um that they couldn't find any black women in in los angeles who were stunt performers yeah. in los angeles i mean so yeah they painted this girl who was not black um and we still not knowing who it really is or the coordinator no one's releasing i have an idea angelica mm. told me but i'm not allowed to say at the moment sure um but um they basically painted her black and you could see in the picture that she didn't look like you could tell she was painted on and the awkwardness of the smile of Angelica in that mm-hmm. picture. But she had to take the picture because that was for to be released later, which happened. You know, it was like, a am going to take this picture now, but we're going to talk about this later. You yeah. know, so it's painting someone down to look like even down to the hair. They got ethnic hair for her on the top. So, um, White people, you know, was doing it in the 50s and 60s in movies to portray us. And they're still mm-hmm. doing it now. They, 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 you know, they feel like it's okay. We can't find mm-hmm. anybody. Let's just get white. So the purpose also of Stump Pot is if for some reason you can't find black, if for some reason, then you kind of go, there's other colors on there. There's Hispanic people with darker skin, yeah. you know. Asian yes. people, even Cambodian on there that has darker skin because she's mixed, you know, she's Asian and black, you know, so there, yeah. there are options on there. It's such a lame excuse as well in Los Angeles. I yeah. mean, come mm-hmm. on. I, I don't know what goes through the head of white people who do that because I could never, I'm mixed myself. Uh, mm. My father's white, she's German, and my mom's black, but I could never look at my skin tone, double a white girl, and I can't use that excuse where, oh, I'm half white, so I could double a white girl they do that sometimes with actors if an actor is mixed i've heard a girl say well i'm doubling hallie's berry's white side because she's mixed you know even though hallie yeah. berry's skin is brown or you know what i mean but that's yeah. not i mean that's kind of like illogical so in that case if we're going to do that i should be doubling white girls then and then they look yeah. at me like because my dad's white I, that, i'm using my white side so yeah. they, you know it, it's got to be fair on both sides 
but that never happens. It's complex as well, because I did read an interview with you where you said you'd doubled Viola Davis for something. Yeah. There was a makeup process involved in that. Is that is that correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I did double Viola Davis, and Viola, again, she had... Um, she told me when she started her career early, they had a white girl double her. So she was the one who was like, oh my God, I'm just happy to have you because we're the same height, same body type. I'm just happy to have a black girl to double me, you know, whether it takes a few shades. She was just happy to like see that there were black people who actually, who women who actually do stunts because she never heard it. You know what I mean? Because a lot of these actors, they go by what they tell them. Oh, it's not too many. No one, you know, black black girls are not doing this. So she was just happy to, you know, Queen Latifah the same way. She mm. hires me all the time because she's like, I'm just happy they have black girls who do sex. Following the Black Lives Matter protests, and I know that that was, that shone a light on a number of issues, one of which mm-hmm. was structural racism that does go on across organizations, yeah, business, yeah. etc. And Hollywood is certainly not immune to this. There was yeah. that di- diversity and in stunts initiative on social media. I don't know if you saw that. That was doing oh, the I rounds. Saw that. Yeah. yeah, I do. I, I have that. And we have another webinar coming up this Wednesday. And Shahab Rubari is the yeah. lead of the movie. He started that. He started it. And he's getting slack himself because they're looking at him like, why are you trying to help these people? You know, he, he even told me he's getting slack for that, which is sad. Really? But he sees it himself. You know, he's actually uh, Middle Eastern. And so he's like, you know, they're, you know, he, he comes from Europe, so he's not used to this American culture where you get attacked for wanting to help people. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he's yeah, like, that's he so sees, weird. But he sees what's going on and he's like, you know, we need some help. What were your thoughts though when you saw that social media campaign? Because I know, you know, I, I, I think the gesture is, is a good one and it's, it's great. People go on Instagram and they like and they post and comment, uh-huh. etc. But these things only work if there's actions that can happen as a result of these yeah you know what at first i was i was a bit apprehensive so Mm. you know because a lot of these you know especially in the climate that we have here uh ben you know with with all of this going on with the black lives matter movement and stuff like that i was wondering if you know this is this a jumping on the bandwagon type of thing because all of these little movements are starting but i actually sat and had a zoom conversation with shahab and and um i i felt his heart and I feel like yeah. he genuinely is concerned about this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He genuinely, gen- genuinely wants to come up with plans to um, for change in our stunt industry to get more um, diverse stunt coordinators, especially women, you know, yeah. and um, women of color to be stunt coordinators on set. Because a lot of times um, when you have men coordinating, and especially if they coordinate an all-women show, they're not knowing the dynamics of stunt mm-hmm. women, you know, as far as, yeah, get do whatever, but we're like, okay, if we're running in the hills, there's a special boot that stunt women need. You know what I mean? Things yeah, of that yeah. nature that, that you would consider as a woman, you know, coordinating female shows or a black woman even with their hair, you know, and the skin yeah. tone, you know, because a lot of them don't know about skin tones and about black hair, you know, things of that nature. That's important. You know, it's a whole dynamic, you know, and the more we keep having these workshops and increasing the awareness, it's helping, I think, because it's bringing yeah. it to the light and bringing it to the table. What would you like to see change? I would like to see if, I would like to see the stunt industry and SAG. What I would like to do is have our union 
back the movement and back Stunt Park and um, actually offer, um, you know, uh, classes or seminars to, to so they we can obtain more information on how we can, you know, certain stunt casting can be more diverse and also um, set up, uh, you know, a program to where we could get a change as for stunt being stunt coordinators, you know, females mm-hmm. and, and women of color, you know, so I would like to see more executive, not just legislative, something that you write, but executive movement from this our union on this. And I feel like they've been slow on it or, you know, really, you know, just apprehensive themselves on it. I would like to see more action put behind our union to make it from the top, from the top. Yeah, because it's got to happen from the top. Like, you know, we've been we've been fighting for change for 20 years that I know of. But yeah. it takes it takes the union and someone from the top to make it happen, and also mm-hmm. our allies who are white stunt coordinators to make it happen too to keep, continue to talk about it. Have you experienced racism firsthand within the stunt world? Oh yeah, I'm still going through it now. I mean, I'm still. Oh my god! Just the other day, I was. You know, when it comes to me driving, I feel like I'm a really good driver, but yeah. And they just ignore that. Like, here's my driving reel with all of my crashes and my high-speed chases. And they just ignore the email or pretend like they didn't see it. Or, and then I don't get the job. And they and then it's filled again, you know. And, and, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of coordinators I don't work for is because of racism. I mean, you do have over 144 credits on uh, IMDb. So. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I mean... still get questioned about... My, it's amazing how when it comes to Black women specifically, I you know, I'm a woman and I'm a black woman. I still get questioned about my skills because mm-hmm. they just don't want to acknowledge it. You know what I mean? And these are people who still question, have you taken a driving course? And I'm like, have you seen my driving reel? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't understand. You know, these are people who are still to this day in 2020 are questioning my skills. Mm-hmm. And then I have a mentor, um, D. Bryant, Darnay Bryant, she was in it before me and she's the baddest motorcycle rider that I know and, yeah. and cars. And I learned how to ride motorcycles and cars from her. Um, when I got in, you know, I was looking up to her and she was my mentor. She still gets questioned, you know, after she's done so many shows with motorcycles. I mean, it's, 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 it's never ending. And they continue to call us to ask, we need a black girl who could drive or ride motorcycles. Okay, here we are. Um, is there anyone else? I mean, are we, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's weird. As you said earlier, Queen Latifah, I think, took you under her wing and you doubled her. I did. After I did Bringing Down the House and um, yeah. she won an MTV, you know, nominated for an MTV award for Best Fight for that. She was like, you're going to do all my movies. And she yeah. held her end of the bargain. I'm so honored for her. And it was on our fourth movie. I did my first four movies with Queen. Um, bringing down a house, taxi, scary movie three. We shot in Vancouver. Then we shot Last Holiday over in, um, you know, Prague and and yeah. um, in Germany. And um, we had a conversation there. She knew I wanted to be an actor. That I moved to LA to be an actor. But she sat down with me. And she says, "Hey, I wanted to be an actor too, but I rapped." Yeah. If you get my drift, you know what I mean. Yeah, to get yeah. in the to cross over. So 
And she's like, you're such a badass. That is not to me. I don't see black stunt women. And I think you could be, you know, she's the really the reason that I came back to LA and I started taking driving courses. I finally got my motorcycle license because she motivated me to, you know, she said, you got to be good in this field. You got to, to open doors for others. So she has no idea that she inspired me to be a better stunt woman and to pursue my career, you know, as a stunt woman. So I give all my credit to Queen Latifah that the roll call of people that you have doubled i mean regina king oprah winfrey jennifer hudson whoopi goldberg monique like it's ridiculous tara banks like (laughs) you know it's kind of kind of amazing it's still um surreal you know especially being on the set with them and getting pictures with them and i'm like these are people who i look up to you know these are people i still admire like these are real people. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm honored, but you know, I'm so focused when I'm on the set and so professional that they don't see the, you know, the, the starstruckness in me. (laughs) They see the work. And I think that's why they keep calling me that. And do you feel safe on sets? Injuries? They do happen, don't they? You know what? Injuries do happen. And that's a really great question because it took me years to, you know, my first 10 years was about I do anything, you know, no matter how yeah. safe. I didn't even question it. I trusted everything. But now seeing what I have seen and knowing what I know, if I don't feel safe, I'm not going to do the sun. Mm. You know, you get what I mean? So you yeah. have to have a confidence in yourself to say, hey, I don't feel safe. I need the mark to be over here or that's too close to the camera or I feel like you need to be over here or the director. He really needs to be on the other side of the car or you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I feel like, but it took, it took, um, it took years to get to that point. It takes experience and it takes years of being in the business. I'm grateful that I haven't had any serious accidents that took me out of, you know, out of the game from doing science, you know? Yeah. So, but I know what to do now when it comes to being safe. If I don't feel safe, then I don't do that period we should say you've got some amazing acting credits as well and i know oh, i love acting <laughs> and that is something you would be advising stunt performers who are mm-hmm. coming into the industry to make you a fully rounded performer then acting is 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 a really crucial thing is that something you would be uh, telling people oh my gosh yes and you know what's good too what's helped me with my career is because if you let the coordinator know that you have an acting background or some acting you could get in the stunt performer or the ND spots easier yeah. because they may say, okay, you're coming out the burning building, you're on fire. And they may want actors to direct and they want you to say a line or two, you know, then it becomes yeah. an acting role. So I always tell people to take improv classes or just one introduction to acting classes. Okay. Ambitions then into the future. Stunt pop is really popular and the numbers are growing. Are they at the mm-hmm. moment? Yes, the number is growing. The inches are growing. A lot of actors and directors are following it now, so which is great. You know, so I hope to take it to another level. Um, that's why I'm doing the workshops. We got a great reviews from the workshops because not too many stunt performers. You know, we don't have workshops. You know, or webinars. Yeah. So I feel like this was a great opportunity for me to not just, you know, talk about, you know, the objects and not talk about diversity and paint downs, but just increase the awareness for all step performers, whether it's safety, whether it's storm coordinators, how to hustle, you know, as well as, you know, diversity and things of that nature. So um, I want to do more of those so we can help the community in itself. Well, listen, you're doing amazing work. So do uh, do keep it up. And thank um, you. This has been great. Thank you so much for taking thank the time so to much. talk to me today. Thank you. Dragon Fest. <laughs> <laughs>
Juan Dace, Candice there. Thank you so much, Juan Dace. Really enjoyed that, really enjoyed talking. Thank you so much for your openness and your honesty there and for highlighting, of course, the amazing work that's going on at Stunt Park. Stunt Park stands for Stunt Performers of Colour. You can find out more about Stunt Park by heading over to the website stuntpark.com. There is also an Instagram page at Stunt Park. Jawan Dace also has her own website, which is jawandace.com. She is also on Instagram. Her name there is at jawandace. I will make sure that I add all the links to these accounts, as well as her IMDb page and her driving and stunt reel. I'll be adding all of those links to the description of this show and also to this episode's page on our website kungfumovieguide.com so yes make sure you do go and support John Dace she is doing some very important work in the USA and Canada in helping to make the stunt world a fairer and more equitable place and we very much commend her for her hard work so thank you John Dace Candice. We will be remaining in the stunt world now for our next guest, which is the amazing Brett Chan. This was a blast being able to chat to Brett, obviously being a huge Warrior fan myself, and also discussing his amazing journey from stunt performer to fight choreographer to stunt coordinator and now second unit director. And it is only a matter of time now until we see Brett's making those next steps into directing. Brett Chan is based out of Vancouver, Canada. This conversation was recorded back in April 2020, just a few weeks into the lockdown. Brett is part of HITS International, so that's HITS with a Z, H-I-T-Z. They are a collective of professionally trained action specialists comprised from all over the world and they include second unit directors stunt coordinators stunt performers fight and wire choreographers horse masters and actors you can find out more about hits international by visiting the website hitsinternational.com you're also going to hear a little clip from the new trailer which has just landed for warrior season two Warrior Season 2 is expected to land in October 2020 on the Cinemax network in the USA. We do mention the slightly uncertain future for the show since it has been revealed that Cinemax will no longer be doing original programming and shows including Warrior that were on Cinemax will not be making the move over to HBO's streaming platform, HBO Max. So... Despite the fact that the show is produced by people like Jonathan Tropper and Justin Lin and has involvement from Bruce Lee's daughter, Shannon Lee, and also despite the fact that the show has a huge following already, once the second season of Warrior is up, then the show at this moment in time is currently homeless. There is a Save Warrior campaign which is doing the rounds on the internet. You can sign up to that. I am one of the signatories on that, and I've been sharing the link to it through our social media accounts. I will add the link to this show's description, but you can find it now by searching on change.org. 
It has been known in the past that when the future of a show is in jeopardy, sometimes, you know, if enough fans do go online and sign petitions, then that can influence certain networks to, you know, continue with the show. So that would be great. Look, it's the least we can do. And we all would love to see that show continue. So I would also say if you are a Warrior fan, then do please check out the KFMG pod archive. You will find conversations there with Shannon Lee and also the show's stars, Andrew Koji and Jason Tobin. All great conversations and great people. So go back and listen to those episodes if you haven't already via your podcast provider. Okay, that's just about enough from me. I will be back at the end of this conversation to sign off properly and also provide a little bit more information. But until then, let me now throw over to my conversation with the awesome fight choreographer, stunt coordinator and second unit director, Brett Chan. for so many years and a trait that seems to follow you throughout your career has been this sort of stepping through from martial artist to stunt performer to stunt coordinator fight choreographer (coughs) second unit directing like there's a path there looking ahead always moving forward is that something that you mentally do yourself yeah there's kind of a technique a lot of people i know do it's called manifesting it's basically sending your energy up in the world of where you want to go with what you want to do <clears throat> as long as you have a positive outlook and manifesting things, things will start happening. Getting into the business itself here is really difficult because, you know, you have a, a small select people that are doing it. And obviously, mm-hmm. everybody wants to see you do well, but nobody wants to really see you do better than them. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's not something that they, 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 they uh, um, project out there, but it's just kind of something that, you know, just subconsciously people, it's just human nature kind of thing. Um, like they see you do well they're like oh well well that could happen to me or you know Mm. but but are you doing the right things to make it happen are you manifesting are you making those progressive movements are you progressing yourself or are you just kind of saying well this should happen to me but you're not doing anything about it yeah you still find it quite competitive oh 100 percent there 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 are guys out there that are, are a lot like more talented than I am or this, but it all depends on where they are in their mindset. So what, how they want to achieve this, do they want to work at it or they, do they expect it to be land handed to them? There's also an, an area where the people are higher up, they'll kind of push you down a bit. So it's harder for you to mm. make it up there because, you know, this person can be my student, let's say, and <clears throat> you know, the, the student always surpasses the instructor. I mean, the master always. So yeah. you, you, you can either embrace it, and help them and help them grow. And then when they grow, I mean, you take self-satisfaction in that and they, they inevitably, as they're good people and they've been good mentors from them, they'll kind of bring you up with them as opposed yeah. to stay there. Don't do anything. Yeah. Like so you stay above all the time. And that happens quite often in this, in this business. So yeah. it's very competitive. Um, <clears throat> and, but you'll, you'll see some of the guys who have really branched out uh, and they would, you know, because because of their skill, and not because they've been jerks about it or stepped on people to get to where they need to get. They just were just really good people, and I, I believe that if you are really truly a good person, think good things will happen to you. And as long as you yeah. project that, you just keep your head down, and you do what you do best, it, it gets noticed. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. With your fight choreography, you're willing to listen to, you know, ideas. Anyone's idea is a, is a good idea as long as it works. Is that the sort of ethos <clears throat> that you create on your, on your sets? hundred percent. I mean, yeah. the, te- the team that I bring in, like usually when I travel uh, my jobs, I usually bring in guys from around the world. When I bring people in, it's not necessarily based on their skill. It's based on the fact that they're, they're good ethical people and they're good people. Yeah. I don't care how talented you are. If you are a jackass, I don't want you on. Because what you just do is you just cause disruption in the whole team because, yeah. uh, you know, you think you're better than that's a big problem for me. So I'll take ideas from everybody when I'm doing choreo. I'll do the choreo first. I'll, I'll set up the structure. I'll set up the skeleton. I'll set up the outline. And I'll say, okay, I need this move to look like this, 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 this. And then I'll put mm-hmm. it in. And the doubles, especially the doubles who are playing those characters, as long as they understand that where it's coming from story-wise and character-wise, then I'll take into account all what they're saying. Because obviously they're playing that character. They're living that character. But how do you come up against an issue where – Maybe you are dealing with an actor doesn't really have an action background, maybe hasn't been going, keeping up the training as well. How do you deal with those types of of challenges on a set? That all depends on the collaborativeness of the producers and and the director. When I when I have actors that 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 don't want to do anything, I had a show. I don't want to mention names, or but I think you guys would all probably know when I'm talking about it that. The actor didn't want to do any training. Yeah, in the very beginning, he did like two weeks of training. Okay, great. Um, And then afterwards, he didn't want to train. He didn't want to rehearse. He didn't want to do anything. Like, it was like really difficult. And then, you know, the directors come in. So, well, I want to shoot in the space. And I says, well, I I can't, I can't really give that to you because my actor doesn't want to do anything. It's, Mm. you know, you want to look a certain way. And if the producers don't get on board and say, tell the actor, hey, this is part of your job. You got to do this. Then I'm stuck. So what I do is I'll just create hero moments. So we do the choreo, and it all depends on time, too. Maybe the actor does want to do it, but we don't have time to rehearse with them or train with them. The budget doesn't allow it. So then I'll I'll just do – I will shoot a previs, essentially, but I'll do the whole fight, and then I'll just do the double. And I'll pick certain moments, depending on how long the fight is. Let's say if it's, you know, X amount of beat, I'll pick like four or five moments where the actor can do a movement, two or three movements leading in and leading out, just like two or three, and that would make them look good. Therefore, the way I shoot it would be double, double, double. And then I pick the moments where actors, one, two, three, boom, pose. And you mm-hmm. see it's the actor doing it. And then the cut seamlessly goes back into the double until the next hero moment. And mm-hmm. those are generally what I have to do with certain TV because, you know, our shooting schedules are like, okay, guys, this is like a 184-beat fight, but we have uh, mm, 
four hours to shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How is Warrior to shoot? Do you get enough time on on those scenes? So Warrior, it was a dream job. Yeah. I mean, it's we one should of those... say you're stunt coordinator, but you're also second unit director on Warrior, aren't you? Yes. Yes. Yeah. The actors, <clears throat> all of them, like literally, like I set up a training regime every morning, so it, you can come if you like. And basically, uh, but all the stunties have to be there every morning. So at like 7 a.m., they're all there. And they all train for like an hour, hour and a half, right? They do an hour and a half of training. And uh, then afterwards, we do uh, another hour of a different martial arts. Because my team is comprised of people from around the world. So we have different martial arts coming in. We have different Chinese styles. We have different, we have Korean styles. We have like capoeira. We have just different things, boxing. So then we we integrate them for an hour. And everybody just has a taste of it all. And then afterwards, again, to choreo. But the actors all are there at like 7 a.m. They, they're all harassing me to be there. They all want to be there first thing in the morning training. They want to be there during the martial arts and they want to be the choreo. Even if they're not in the fight, they just want to just be doing stuff. And yeah. you got guys like <clears throat> Andrew Koji who comes in four, four hours every day. Whether he's filming or not, he's there training. Same with Joe Taslin, same with J- Jason Tobin, same with Dean Jagger, same with like Kieran Bue, same with like all of them. Diane Doan, like Olivia Chen, they're all there. Like yeah. train, Hoon Lee. Like who leaves? He's there before everybody, and he stays there to the very end of the day, just training. Wow. <laughs> that was- is that? I mean, is that's quite unique. Then you you haven't experienced that on any of the shows that you've you've worked on yet, then, Brett? Uh, well, an Iron Fist. Um, yeah, I had like you know Sasha Dewan uh, and our Bakudo character, and also uh, Jessica Hennick. Like they they were there training four hours a day, every day. Yeah. Yeah, those three were, and they had zero martial arts background. But if you're watching the show, you can see that who really put the work in for this thing. It and shows, doesn't it? In the end, it, it absolutely it's you know it's worth going through that, isn't it? Yeah, producers were joining in the workouts, and on both Marco Polo and on a Warrior, Mark, Marco Polo was the same thing. Uh, yeah. You know, we had half the production team on. I had I had, I had uh, uh, catering, I had production, I had accounting, I had like everyone in the workouts room. I had like sometimes in the mornings, I had over 120 people in the workouts with us because everybody loved it. And that was a great family atmosphere So that I try and create. With Warrior, because Shannon Lee's a producer on it, but it's also based on a Bruce Lee concept. Surely the temptation there is to just go fully Bruce Lee on the whole thing, Uh, you know, choreograph it in a way that is very much indicative of the Bruce Lee style. But I think what's really clever about what you do in Warrior is, yes, there are nods there, but it doesn't overwhelm the whole piece. I'm guessing that was your approach when you first took on Warrior. Well, uh, I sat with Jonathan Tropper first and Daniel Woodrow and Justin Lin. We talked about the tone that they wanted for it the show and Chan Lee uh, gave her input <clears throat> as well. It wasn't, I mean, because Bruce Lee's uh, mantra is, you know, it's about hybridization of everything. It's not like one style. So <clears throat> their actors like Andrew Koji didn't want to be, because nobody wants to watch and see, oh, he's playing Bruce Lee perfectly. No, no, they, yeah. they want they want to see in essence of what Bruce Lee did. So we gave homage to Bruce Lee in a lot of the, in the films that he did and certain moves. Uh, but with regards to everyone else, no one else moved like Andrew Koji uh, because he was the one that's playing the embodiment of kind of like what Bruce Lee would kind of move. But, you know, we'd have to adapt it a little bit. Um, so that was 
awesome because you know Andrew didn't want to be Bruce Lee because it then it compared him and he didn't want to be you know, no one wants to be compared to Bruce Lee. how could you be compared to Bruce Lee yeah it's you know <laughs> you're a big Bruce Lee fan I'd imagine are you Brett of course yes yeah yeah, yeah, huge. yeah. so was this quite an honor then I guess to work on a show like this oh yeah I mean I, at the time I was on a show called Skyscraper but it was you know it is much different and this one I was second director so uh, when they pulled me over, I was like, yeah, I mean, anything to be attached to. And and the the biggest nod was Chan and Lee and uh, John Chopper and Justin Lin and, and Daniel Santo, um, him and his daughter. Um, well, she she messaged me because uh, Bruce Lee is her godfather. And, they're, yeah. you know, she said that her and her father both agreed that what I, what was done with Warrior was, was fantastic and that uh, Bruce Lee would be really – uh, proud of it, and uh, yeah. Shannon Lee reached out. And she said the same thing, and her and her mother. Uh, she said her mother had said uh, that Bruce would be so proud of of what was created on Warrior, and I was like, wow, and that's that alone was that's worth it right there. The other Toms are getting restless. It's only a matter of time before they make a move. The city is gonna burn when it does. The blood will be in your hands. Start two boys. Let's go. Let's go. This thing between you two. We're all going to suffer for it. You and me, we have someone to finish business. Well, when you're ready, come and find me. I'm a huge Warrior fan. I thought I think that show is fantastic. Eagerly anticipating the second season. I'm pretty sure you can't share too much <laughs> about what happens in the second season. But tell us a little bit about season two. What, what was it like to film then? Let's maybe let's let's talk about it like that. Um, well, season one was uh, people were just kind of act, other actors and and characters. They're all just trying to like getting into their characters, really feeling it out. So season yeah. two. Uh, season two will will blow your mind, Ben. Yes, it it just you know because of now we've established what can be done and what can happen, and our characters uh, are just really starting to really get juicy. So um, <clears throat> South Africa shooting in South Africa was fantastic. They're also a new a newer a newer film industry area over there, not quite as big. They're just starting to grow now, so uh, they adapted really quick. And um, mm. I mean, I, had, I worked with some of the best people over there. The stories come out now that Cinemax won't be, you know, doing any more original shows. So then that's sort of thrown Warrior in some kind of jeopardy. We don't really know what's happening after the second series. There's a huge following for this show. Brett, can you shed any lights on this? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what's happening? Yeah, well, well look, this is... Essentially, what's happening is is Cinemax is now being dissolved. Yeah, um, HBO uh, got bought out now by uh, Time Warner, yeah. and uh, and now it's going to become HBO Max. Um, mm. HBO Max has a series of things with them: TNT, CW, and TBS, and all this stuff that's going on there. Um, <clears throat> Warrior um, will not be on any other. Like, I guess, I guess some some other uh, companies had had. Uh, had put a bid to purchase it, but I, I don't know, whatever reason, it just didn't happen. Stuart from Warrior Collective um, and I, and a few people like Shannon, Lee, and stuff like that, put together as a petition to try and drum up uh, some fan base. Uh, yeah, save Warrior. Uh, support to save Warrior, yes. Yeah. So if, if we get enough, like, like there are certain shows like The Expanse and all that jazz, and mm-hmm. they, they the, the fan base came out so strong that they, they brought it back. 
So yeah. we're kind of hoping that that saves it and it brings yeah. it all back. It seems like it's a no-brainer. If the audience is already there, you know, why not continue it? But um, it's a strange industry, isn't it, Brett? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also um, not something that's conceptualized by Warner Brothers off the top. So yeah. that's that's one thing I would think maybe because it's, it's not original programming by them, even though it's established. Mm. But it would be kind of a no-brainer because it is like already established. It has a fan base. Uh, we shoot it in South Africa. So, I mean, the cost that we shoot it for is, is not – like, I mean, to shoot what we shot in Warrior, to shoot that like anywhere else like North America or Europe like, would be, you know, a lot more. Um, yeah. So what we're able to do and over there – and he just had to be part of it. It's it's yeah. it's literally the dream job. Uh, my, yeah. The actors are a dream, fantastic. Yeah. Are you ever surprised because you've worked on some pretty high profile shows when they get cancelled after a couple of seasons? Do you ever just wonder what the logic is sometimes in some of those things? I mean, how does that feel? I guess when when you get that news. Yeah, it's pretty disheartening. Like, Marco. <laughs> Marco Polo season three went away. I was just like, ah, and it was all, it was all political reasons. And, you know, the whole Harvey Weinstein thing. And yeah, it was a Weinstein company thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty disheartening when you have, you can obviously see when you watch out certain shows and you're like, this is terrible. How does this get lit? Yeah. (laughs) Season four or season five. And, and are there actually people watching this? Like it's, yeah. It's crazy, but uh, it happens. And I guess there is always a, a room and a genre for, for, I mean, there are like how many billion people in the world, so somebody must be watching it for them to keep it on. <laughs> Your kung fu expertise is just not good enough. You started martial arts really young, is that is that right? I was seven. Your dad was uh, your main influence? Yeah, I, so I was born here, but when I was yeah. six years old, uh, six, I moved to the Philippines for three years. Sure. And then I came back. But when I was in the Philippines, is he got me into Kung Fu first. So I started doing okay. a bunch of Kung Fu out there. And then I transitioned to, to Karate. <clears throat> From there, we moved back to Canada. And then I just yeah. started doing um, Karate here. So, you know, different styles. So Shotokan is my main from here. And then I shoot to you, go shoot to you. And then, and then I got my black belt Taekwondo. You know, Bruce Lee is all about hybridization and, and learning new yeah. things. It's not always good just to stick to one. So, and that's what I started doing. You start training in different things and Kali and kickboxing and, and boxing and, and Muay Thai and, you know, um, Krabi Krabong. And you start doing all these different things that, you know, and, and if, what that does is it just, it just changes how you move as a person. Um, yeah. and how you think, um, yeah. many martial arts have a certain way of thinking and, and, uh, for what Bruce Lee brought to, to the world of martial arts, I, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's great because now yeah. it's, we're no longer, well, this style is better than this style and this style. No, no, no. This style contributes to this and this style contributes to this. And so mm. now you have this style now, which then opens up to a whole new world of options and, and things you can think about doing. If people are looking to become fight choreographers, stunt coordinators and work in that world, is that the sort of advice you'd be telling people? You know, you've just you've got to learn about as many disciplines as, as possible. Yeah, but I would also um, I would also let them know first get good at one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a lot of people come into business and they go, I want to kick like that. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. And th- that's great. So, so because you're athletic and now you, you know, you, you know how to kick this way. Uh, but how, how do you move between the throwing the kick and after the kick? Mm. So, and that's the problem people, 
who come in who don't have a martial arts background. They go, I want to kick the kids. So they learn how to do a trick. Okay, great. But now it looks like a trick. It doesn't look like an actual kick. So your intention, your movement looks like you're just throwing a trick as opposed to actually the reason why you're doing this movement is for an intention of whatever reason. And you lack, you lose that once you just learn how to throw tricks. Hmm. So there was a time in the film industry where it was just cool to be able to do all these spinning twist kicks and all this stuff. Yeah. But then everyone, went, all the movies came out and everything was being done just for the sake of looking cool. And yeah. the audience has now evolved and gotten smarter. Just like when you transition from martial arts, like regular, into MMA, into the ring, that doesn't necessarily work. You, you know, the boxers have to change their stance, otherwise they get leg kicked, you know, or they get taken down or, you know, those things have to change. You have to adapt. When I teach choreography to any actors who have no martial arts or who have a tiny bit of martial arts movement, I always teach them the footwork first, even before the hands, yeah. because it's alien to them. So if, they, if they're not getting their footwork and every time they move, they got to think about their foot, then they got to think about their hands, then they got to think about the other person, they got to think about hurting the person, then they got to think about the choreo, and then where are they going to go next? And so if your footwork is good, you move naturally, then all you have to do is think about your hands. Mm. And then everything kind of falls in place from that point. What was that thing inside you that made you think, oh, martial arts is the thing. That's what I'm, I'm going to basically dedicate. Well, you've ended up dedicating your life to it. So, you know, what was that thing? Well, my father is, you know, he's a third degree in Kempo and he's, yeah. uh, I think, a third degree in Shotokan. So, you know, it was first him living in, the, in, in Canada when I was younger. There wasn't quite a big Asian presence. So <clears throat> I got into fights all the time. Like just for being Asian, and mm. because I'm 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 Chinese and Filipino and some Spanish in there, so I don't look exactly Chinese either. But I don't look exactly uh, Filipino. I just you just I just looked a little bit different. So you got in fights every day because I wasn't white. And then I moved to the Philippines for three for three years, and you know I was only six, seven, eight, and kids can be really mean. And so yeah. because I wasn't I wasn't really Filipino over there, then I got into fights every day because I wasn't dark enough so it was one of those transition things and then i came back to canada and and when i was nine i was a little bit older now uh but because i I had a strong filipino accent so you know there's more ethnics there now but i got into fights all the time because of the fact that i had an and i had an accent and Mm. you know cultural culture diversity wasn't so prominent back then like it is now yeah so then I got to, oh, well, my dad put me in martial arts anyways when I first started getting into a little bit of problems when I was like, you know, like six years old in the Philippines. Uh, so my first, actually my first week in the Philippines, I was in Manila and uh, some of the kids were making, I think they were making fun of me. I could speak a little bit of Filipino and they were saying chongo, chongo, which means like gorilla, you know, you, you look like a gorilla. I'm like, so I got into a fight my first, first like four days in the Philippines. So, but I was like, hey, we're, we're gonna play some martial arts. I think it's time. So that's when it started. Kung Fu. Ha! Chu Ching Kong, the king treated you well. Why do you betray him? What do you want? How did the show business side sort of come into your life then, Brett? Well, I was born in Toronto and I yeah. grew up in Toronto mainly. Two show that really stuck out was Hercules with Kevin Sorbo. Sure. And um, it was on a, a network channel where every other week it showed Hercules and then showed Vanishing Sun. And uh, yeah. I was like, wow, that'd be really cool to be on something like that. And then, you know, I moved to Vancouver in 94. So this was in like the late 80s, early 90s when I was watching this show. And then I, yeah. I moved to Vancouver. 
in 94, I didn't know anybody. I just kind of stepped out the airplane. A few years later on, I was working at a nightclub and uh, met this girl. She was just yeah. like, hey, I'm in this agency. Um, would you like to be in my agency? I was like, sure, why not? And she got me in a first commercial. And I had no, I had no idea because I was doing I was going to do my pre-meds. I was doing all my science, like human kinology, um, yeah. all that stuff, geese and everything. So I did a commercial. It was called Karate Fighters. Um, and I loved it. And then I met some guys who were Ninja Turtles Yeah. Uh, while working at the clubs. And they're like, hey, you know, we're looking for some martial artists, Asian, blah, blah. Do you do one audition? And I was like, yeah. So I did. And so I got into it, the TV series from Fox uh, Ninja Turtles. I was just one of the bad guys. I was always playing like a rank warrior or right. the clan. Yeah. And that kind of role. That's okay. This is what I want to do. Um, so I finished my schooling anyways. Yeah, I was going to say, you did You did finish then. You didn't drop out of school and go, I'm just going to go and join the, uh, the film world. Well, yeah, because you know, it was very uncertain. And especially for Asians, the roles back then were, were such more limited, unless you're doing Kung Fu or something like that. You've got nearly 150 credits uh, to your name on, uh, on IMDb. So you were consistently working from the, this is sort of the late 90s to, to now. Some of the titles, X2, Last Samurai, iRobot, uh, Catwoman, Blade Trinity. These are huge, big, you know, mainstream movies. Working as a stunt performer at that time, how much prep did you get? Did you know what you were doing? Generally, like, I mean, <clears throat> let's say on Catwoman, let's say, when we were doing that yes. fight scene with Halle Berry. Well, I was part of the core team at the time, so we, we did we did the, the choreography. Uh, it was Mike Gunther, and uh, we set it all up, and then we just we, we did the fight, and then uh, everything's okayed by, by everybody. There's a lot of people that's got to go through. And then, and then once that's done, and the doubles all know it, and we all know it, then we bring Hallie in, and Hallie will start working with the double and all the movements, and we just do step by step with her. Was it mostly fights that you were doing, or would you jump in and do uh, other types of stunts? No, there's a lot of different things, but I mean, yeah. you know, you have guys that are specialized doing high falls, or guys yeah. that are specialized yeah, yeah. doing car or car driving like cannons or whatever it is, and you never take a job that you have no experience doing, because if you. Yeah job like uh, i know a guy that took a, a job swimming and he didn't know how to swim but he gets thrown into a into the ocean with other people and you know he panicked and he almost grabbed one of the performers and drowned them both so wow you, you, that's definitely a no-no uh yeah once you do something like that you're you're in big problems have you ever been involved on a on a film set where accidents have have happened uh yeah on x-men yeah. 2 there is just a lot of chaos going on. If you watch <clears throat> when Pyro's on the deck and he's telling sure. the police that he's the worst kind of mutant there is. Yeah. So I was one of the policemen in there when the cars go flying up, spinning, and every explosion's yeah. happening. Anyways, yeah. there's just a lot of confusion that day and a lot of things were going on. So my line got pulled, I think, like one second, 1.2 seconds too late. So I, I got like second and third degree burns all my arms and my face wow uh, and that's just because there's things going on that were just causing problems and so the communication wasn't happening there and yeah so that happened or like mm. on, a, on electro i got dropped uh 40 feet to uh luckily uh ground earth that was all dug up and put all nicely because there was just too much going on that was in chaos and uh lack communication and things just in panic so that happened and uh 
you know, it, it, it basically stretched one of my ligaments, my wrist, like f- forever. So wow. if, if, if I would have broke my wrist, it would have been better because it would have healed and it would have been fine. But because it's, yeah. it's completely overstretched, it's like yeah. taking an elastic band and you pull it too far and then you let yeah. it back down. It's never really the same shape. And you can pretty much pinpoint the reasons why these things do happen on film sets. And it is generally because because people are rushing and they're just not not thinking or they're just they haven't allocated enough time towards something. Is that essentially what it what it boils down to? Well, things happen. It's just yeah. you know, we, generally we we especially as coordinators, we like to bring the best people um for the job on board so we know that it's going to be safe and no one's going to get hurt whether mm. it's performer whether it's camera whether it's the, the crew whether it's anything you know like let's say uh, a wire it's going to snap well if you have a wire set up a certain way if that snaps it does a whip effect and when it whips around whatever's in the path of the whip is going to get sliced in half mm. so yeah riggers riggers know this as a coordinator you kind of foresee this happening so you kind of you, know, you always have to lean on <clears throat> the guys around you who are the best what they do being a stunt performer yourself when you then moved into stunt coordinating you know exactly what that stunt performer's feeling before they go and do a dangerous stunt like that so you're a lot more sympathetic in in that regard aren't you i guess yeah yeah totally because i i'm I'm empathetic at that point because I've, i've been there my approach is like i won't start yelling at people they can't do something on the set, but you know, obviously they've they've taken the job. Obviously, if they've rehearsed it, obviously this and that. But if they're not comfortable, you have to let me know because yeah. I don't want to put you in a spot where you're uncomfortable and then you're going to hurt yourself or hurt somebody. Mm. It, it mm-hmm. just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, we have to be accountable for each other, and uh, we're all brothers and sisters. We're we're all here to take care of each other. So help me, yeah. you know, help yeah. take care of you, kind of thing. Leave, and I'll spare you for the sake of Buddha. <laughs> I've got the film War down here, the Jet Li movie, as one of your first sort of second unit uh, stunt coordinator roles. Was that quite a big picture for you, that that one? I mean, <clears throat> you get to work with Jet Li. I mean, yeah. that was... I mean, <laughs> and Statham, and Statham, and Statham, yeah, yeah. 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 But, and Corey Ewan, I mean... Yeah, of course, Corey Ewan. For me, uh, the big thing was, was Jet Li. I mean, as a martial artist growing up as well, he's also one of the influences in my life when it comes to martial sure. arts and... Being, a, being able to move like Jet Li or Wong Fai Hong. I mean, yeah. Jet Li, amazing. He would walk into a room like, okay, this is a choreo. It's hypothetically, I'm just saying, it's like 100 beats. Okay, he'd come in, he'd be, look at it. Okay, let me see it once. Okay, let me see it again. He said twice. He goes, okay, I got it. And he'll step in and he'll do it. Exactly, but he'll put his Jet Li to it. It's like unbelievable. Someone like a Corey Yoon who's... You know, you know, he he grew up with Jackie Chan. This guy. So, what yeah. can you glean from these these people who've been doing this their their whole lives? I, you you just watch how they. You know, at first, sometimes when you're working with them, you're it's kind of intimidating. Um, yeah, yeah. First of all, they're all speaking a different language. Like, I don't speak any any Cantonese or Mandarin, so sure. it's like uh, I wouldn't be able to pick it up really. Uh, but I can yeah. understand through their through their movement, their hand motions, why they're doing certain things, and as I got further in the, in the industry because back then I was still thinking more like a performer you know yeah, I started thinking yeah. like a coordinator slowly but as a performer you look at things in a different aspect things when you as a coordinator you look at it like on a grand scale of, of things like you, you look at, mm-hmm. it at, a, at a much wider vision of things what helped me was this guy uh, uh, Zhang Peng uh, Peng Zheng he, mm-hmm. uh, he he also doubled Jet Li as well uh, he watching him he was a fight choreographer pre for kick-ass watching him 
work with these guys and how he moves and why the camera goes here. And, and a lot of times he'll sit and explain to him, the camera goes here because of this. And we'll see this movement. I don't know what the movement is. Oh, okay, great. So you start picking up the reason why they start doing certain things and why this movement will work here and why it won't work over there. Why the camera movement here works and why the camera move there doesn't work. One of my mentors is uh, Nick Powell, who's the, the fight coordinator uh, and uh, second director for like Born Identity. Um, Gladiator, uh, Braveheart, you know, Push, and Last Samurai. So watching him was was the big thing because he really took the time to explain to me why this movement works, why this camera movement works, and all those things. And did you bring all of that then to Marco Polo? I mean, that was such a huge show when it came out. Big investment from Netflix, obviously one of their most expensive shows. You know, you brought all of that to to that show? Yeah, especially from Nick. Yeah, I brought, I brought a yeah. lot of that from Nick. Um, but then I had my, my own flair to it. Was that a good experience, Marco Polo? You got to work with Michelle Yeoh, so uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Let me tell you how inti- intimidating that is. Yeah. Here I am, <laughs> talking to Michelle Yao and yeah. telling her, no, do the sword hit here or yeah. no, this step here. I mean, she's also one of the icons yeah, uh, absolutely. World. And it was like, yeah, Michelle, it's so intimidating telling you this stuff. She's like, no, no, no. And she was fantastic. Um, yeah, a joy to work with. I, I hear she is an absolute joy. She yeah. is, she's so good. And you know, she, she, she's not. She doesn't have a too too big of an ego where she you can't tell her how this. Should, no, no, no. She'd be like, okay, if you explain to her why or this, yeah. she'd be like, oh, okay. She, and as long as she can interpret it with her character, she's happy. And yeah. she just wants to make sure that the product that she's delivering is the best product possible. And uh, and she's open to anyone's suggestions to how it can make it the best possible. As long as it's within her, her scope that she thinks. Yeah. If she if she doesn't think it's good for her character, she'll let you know. But yeah. she's she's so pleasant. Like, yeah, it's a dream working with her, too. I'm terribly sorry, my lord. My disciple didn't mean to hurt you. <laughs> That whole Defenders series and, you know, with Iron Fist and Daredevil and, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. That was such a kung fu orientated uh, show, Iron Fist. You were pretty chuffed to get that role in that? Well, I, I was, I was, first of all, I was, I was really, um, I was flattered that yeah. um, Ali Goss wanted to bring me over and because yeah. she knew I could do a good job. Um, it, uh, the job itself was, was, was great. Like, I mean, to get this job was you know, was like really fantastic to represent uh, Iron Fist. Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't the best experience for me. Uh, mm. I have to say I had, a, that's one of the, one of the hardest jobs uh, I've had to work on. Yeah. Um, just in, in terms of like people getting along, or nothing was great. Everything was great on, on, on the stunt side. Uh, yeah. The crew, the crew was really good too. Uh, it just came down to like, you know, no support like if someone didn't want to train at all yeah. then yeah. you know uh, netflix only had their agreement with with marvel was they only had x amount of uh, input they could do or marvel was basically you know they they kind of oversee all of it so um mm. you know wh- whatever whatever happened happened it was just like well you can do this you can't do this and whether someone supported me on the fact that hey, i need someone to tell this guy he needs to train and if he doesn't, then there's nothing I can do. So what what yeah. the end result, what you want, and the end result with the effort that's being put into it was two different things. And then you're going to get what 
which you're going to get. But as you say, I mean, Jessica Henwick was was great in that in, in that show, and she's she's gone on to Matrix Four now as well, which is uh, really really good news. So there's there was some positive experiences from that from that show, or just generally quite a stressful thing. <laughs> well, yeah, Jessica Henwick, she came four hours a day, no matter what. If yeah, she's working great. that day, if she's on film, she'll come before or she'll come afterwards. She'll train. Yeah, Sasha yeah. Dewan, same thing. I mean, he yeah. he was in. He just wanted to make sure. You know, because, you know, Davos was supposed to be, you know, an Asian guy who was like six foot two, you know, and big and muscular. So when they cast Sasha Dewan, he was a smaller dude and he had no martial arts background. So, you know, he was coming from having to work out. But his acting, he was big when he acted. Yeah. In yeah. That role. Sasha was fantastic. It was like when he first saw him and he gave a line, I'm like, whoa, that yeah. was great. And because of dedication to to whatever he had to do, he was there 120%. I mean, Jesse Hennick, I mean, she looked great. And now she's a matrix. Um, part of it, the fact that her action on Iron Fist and what she does might have helped her get that job, maybe, but she's a fantastic actor. Uh, and, you know, you have uh, Jojo, who's uh, helming Matrix. I mean, yeah. and you couldn't ask for anyone better right there. He's... yeah. It's Jojo, man. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It seems like Hollywood only now are waking up to this, that in order to get really good action movies, get the guys that have been working their way from stunt performers to stunt coordinators, second unit, get the guys who know how to do the action to, to direct it. It is. And, you know, it's... I, I was fortunate on Warrior... Uh, Jonathan yeah. Tropper and Justin Lin uh, both said to all the directors coming in, they says, okay, listen, Brett will shoot all the fights and all the action sequences. Like, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll choreograph it. He'll shoot the previous for it. He'll set it all up based off of their notes and Jonathan Tropper's notes, you know. Yeah. And then as you guys agree on it, you know, I keep changing the previous depending on their notes. So I would, I would choreograph it and I would shoot it. And then they, they would, you know, the Jonathan Trapper would say, well, I'll change this and do this and move that move. Okay, great. I'll change all that, reshoot it again. Okay, great. Then the director will say, well, I kind of want this to this. And Jonathan Trapper, the director, would talk say, no, no, it stays like this or it goes this way. Okay, great. I'll reshoot it. And then that preview is it. And so on the day, because we have such limited time to shoot certain things, yeah. Um, yeah. that, you know, we'll go shoot this and you, uh, Brett will just take care of it all, uh, allowing me to shoot my previous and allowing me to interpret the way uh, that we are going to, how it's going to look. And yeah. a lot of times, which, you know, you can kind of understand certain directors want to be able to shoot it, <clears throat> um, their own stuff, which is great. However, you, you don't have the time always. And, you know, there's not enough time for us to sit there on set and say, well, maybe this angle will be look good, or maybe this angle will look good because we've already shot it. We've already done yeah. all these different angles. So we know what works, what doesn't work. It seems like you're going this way towards directing. I'm guessing that's the ultimate thing that you're you're looking for, Brett. Is that is that fair to say? Oh yes. As a director, do you have ideas? You must have projects that you want to work on, or maybe even scripts kicking around. I mean, do you have that dream project that you that you really want to get made? Yeah, I do have. Uh, uh, I think there are three three scripts right now, which I'm up to direct. There's also a, sh- a movie in, in Korea uh, with the, uh, the actor um, Bruce Kahn, who's actually writing the script, which is uh, kind of like a second version to uh, Revenger. Yeah, um, great. Yeah, so uh, he, him and his H.M. Lee are the partners, and uh, I've met with them, and they, they would love for me to come on board with them. Yeah, so there's, there's a plethora of things that were actually supposed to be going already, but... Um, 
because of the Corona pandemic, it's been yeah. all kind of pushed. Yeah. yeah. And there's one called HKPK, which is uh, called Hit, Hit Kick Punch Kill. It's a, a script written by Maninder Chana. And we kind of conceptualized it uh, like over 10 years ago. So Adam Simon, I'm looking at Adam Simon, he's a fantastic writer. He came in and then uh, uh, did a pass on it. And it just, it's amazing. So I'm going to have wow. a, a big involvement in that one. You can tell it's hit, kick, punch, kill. So it's definitely action oriented. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And do you have a type of action that you want to see? Do you think that there's a type of action that hasn't been seen yet or something that you would like to bring to the table when you do direct? Um, everything, everything is kind of, I mean, everything you kind of, you see on film nowadays, everything's been kind of done. I mean, even yeah. when it's original, it's, it's been done. Um, yeah. So the only thing that I think, I, I don't think I can really bring anything really original or new to, to the world uh, in this film, but I can put my flair on it, which, yeah. you know, <clears throat> it's kind of like when I, when, I, when I trained two guys to do uh, choreo. So when I, when I did, let's say, Joe Taslim and Andrew Koji, yep. hypothetically, they could have trained in the same school. They could have grew up together, had the same teacher. You know? so, but the difference, though, because based on their personalities and their body types, and how they would move, that if both of them threw the exact same technique, it would look very different because sure. of their stature, their well, how they move, and the mood they're in, or what they're doing. So it would look different. So they, they threw, both threw this kick. It would look differently how it was executed because of their personality. So, yeah. And that's a little bit of flavor I kind of give to every character yeah. uh, and every show that I'm on. So that if I could put them behind, like, say, a white transparent screen, and you have one guy move, and then you have the next guy move behind it, you'll know, oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, that's so-and-so, because it's indicative of their personality and how they move, so it looks different when they're fighting. And now we'll see how good you are. Just talking about Kung Fu as well, the TV show, I know this is coming back then onto uh, the CW network. What's that experience been like, working on working on Kung Fu, bringing Kung Fu back? That's, that's great. Um, so far... Uh, Olivia uh, Liang was yep. cast, um, yep. and uh, she she comes from no martial arts background. Sure. So, uh, but she is a dancer. Okay. And um, she her her um, when she yeah when she showed up, I mean, I was like, okay, we only have X amount of time to prep her, but but she showed up and she came like she was so good. She Great. she she called me up. She goes, I want to train every day. So we were literally, we were really working seven days a week. She would go do her costume, whatever this, her readings. She'd come and she'd train. No matter what, she was in there. Her and Eddie, Eddie Liu, he was a trainer there every day. And it's been another thing too. All the cast, they just want to come train all the time. Yeah. Want to, they literally, like all the, all the cast, all the characters, they just want to be there. They just want to come train and they love the energy. And, and it, it was so, it was so refreshing. I mean, at the same time, it was like stressful because we had no time, but yeah. uh you know, trying to manage it, but I still want to keep them uh, interested, and I can. You know, I want to keep them keep going because they they want to be there, which is just so refreshing. I know it's a female fronted version of the Kung Fu TV show, but I'm guessing there's got to be lots of nods back to the old David Carradine show uh, in in there as well. I mean, what what can people expect from this show? Uh, I don't know if I can really say too much. But, <laughs> no, uh, I thought I thought I'd try and ask anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I don't. Um, there so far, 
so far there isn't uh, in 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 the first and you know, so far there isn't a, there isn't a lot of nods to it. I think uh, sure. I think they also might want to give it a whole new pers- fresh perspective of it. Yeah. Um, different for for the thing, but it you know yeah. it kind of will carry the same genre or type of what's happening uh when he came to america kind of thing the success of warrior but also uh into the badlands there was woo assassins on netflix as well last year and now the kung fu tv show as well i mean it seems like now is a really good time to be involved in the industry that that you're working in does it feel like it's a it's it's a good time for you for you right now brett I think it's been a good time for all martial arts genres, but yeah. I think that's been a long time coming. Uh, yeah. You know, when, especially you know, Jackie Chan, I mean, when he, with all the movies he started making in North America and stuff like that, and then yeah. Jet Li started crossing over, and it was just like, you know, the the world was, was so new to it, but now the mainstream martial arts is, is throughout the whole world, uh, whether yeah. it's UFC or whether it is that every type of martial arts genre is type of is starting to becoming a little more common to the more people who, who have no martial arts experience. So uh, now that you can, you can kind of do this, this, and people are like, Oh, I know that's just a little bit jujitsu, a little bit this, a little bit this. And that's coming from just regular people now. So uh, it, it is a good chance, a uh, good time for the world to, to be exposed to more martial arts and, and uh, more things. And, and, you know, the, the audience is, is a lot more, um, they're smarter, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. They can see that if you're putting a fight together, well, that's just all just pokey fight. But even like into the Badlands, you know, it's a lot of Chinese like wires and all that jazz. But, but the movements are a little more different because it has to look like it's really going to kill you or really going to yeah. hurt you or whatever it yeah. is. And so and that's where things are kind of progressing because the audience doesn't want to see a bunch of people just dancing or just you know doing choreo or just all yeah. wire work. Or like that no they want to they want to they want to be to be in it and for the yeah. most part i think that with hong kong style in the beginning they can't really feel in it because it's too foreign to them but now if they were to go back and watch them now they would understand it more because of their uh, understanding of the culture do you still go back to old movies and do you still get inspired by old movies oh 100 yeah you know because everything nowadays everything's been kind of done too so when you're watching everything now it's like everything's done but now it's they got more CG or they have more of this. So yeah. for, for me, that takes it away from me. <clears throat> Unless like the show is meant to be like that. Like if it's a superhero show, well, it's meant to be like this. But if you're watching a regular show and like, uh, like you know, if you put too much, like if you watch Born Identity now, but you put like a bunch of CG and everything in it, then it becomes less, less for me. Whereas yeah. I, I know this is, you know, grounded and deep and this is what we're doing and this, you know, kind of thing. But once I start seeing uh, too much stuff that's unbelievable for certain movies and I'd be like, okay, well, it, it takes me out of it. Brett, listen, thank you so much for, for talking to me today and best of luck, obviously, with uh, with all those projects. That all sounds sounds really exciting. Well, hopefully, crossing fingers. Yeah. Uh, cross your fingers for me too. It'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Will do. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ben. Take care. Brett Chan there, really cool to chat to Brett Chan, really enjoyed that, thank you so much Brett for taking the time to talk to me, just so many amazing projects on the horizon there for Brett Chan, not only the new Kung Fu TV show which sounds really exciting but there's also that potential project with Bruce Kahn, that would be awesome. 
Particularly any fans of the film Revenger out there will know how exciting that is. Revenger is available on Netflix now. And if you haven't seen it, it is a great little fight movie. We wish Brett Chan all the best. It is a very strange time to be working in the movie business right now, what with one thing and another. Brett is on Instagram. His name there is at bchanworld. And he also has his website, brettchanstunts.com. His stunt team, Hits International, is on Facebook and Instagram. The name there is at Hits International. That's Hits with a Z. And there is also the website, hitsinternational.com. All links that I've mentioned on today's show will be available in the podcast description. And that is about it for today's episode of the show. A huge thank you to Jawan Dace Candice and to Brett Chan for taking the time to talk to me today. And a huge thank you to you, the loyal Foo follower who has listened all the way to the very end of this show. Thank you so much. Remember, if you do enjoy the show, then please do tell your friends like share subscribe follow us on social media and help to share the good word of the kung fu movie guide podcast i will be back in two weeks time with another new episode in the fifth season of the kung fu movie guide podcast in the meantime do take very good care stay safe stay healthy and i will speak to you all again very soon on the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. Bye for now. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.